Hebrews chapter 5. We'll begin there in just a second. I began this morning by talking about the PTP 365, and so uh, I'll do that again this afternoon. Just want to make mention, we were talking with Brian during lunch, um, but Brian reminded me, I had told someone before lunch uh, that that had been before a flat fee the elders had paid uh, so much, you know, two, three, four hundred dollars a month for our congregation. Uh, but in the last couple of years, they've changed to a fee by account. And I think I can say for the elders that if you want it, they will pay for you to use it. We would gladly that you, uh, let you use it. But if you uh, maybe think you've set up a couple of accounts by accident uh, or, or something like that, let Brian know. Uh, and we can make some of those inactive so we're not paying for something we don't need to pay for. I think you understand the good stewardship uh, sense of that. Also, several were asking about questions about how to get set up, what it takes. Um, you know, some of that's easier done, maybe sitting in front of a computer with you or something like that. Talk to Brian. I don't care to try to help too, but we can try to set you up. I think that might have even changed. At one point, you did it one way, and they might have changed to a different way to get signed up. The point is, the elders are willing to pay for it. They want you to use it. It's a great asset to you. You can listen to all kinds of lessons on all kinds of things. It's especially exciting thinking about uh, the idea that there's another you know, session, another year of PTP coming up, and there will be a whole new slew of I don't know, three, four, five hundred different lessons that will be on there that you can listen to. Uh, so that's very, very exciting. And in connection with our lesson this morning and this afternoon, let me tell you that if you want to teach or do teach, it is a great resource to look up things. I mentioned that I'd already used the app once. My lesson Wednesday night at East Ridge was about the greatest commands or the greatest command, the song uh, that we sing. And there was a lesson, uh, it's called a two-for-one lesson that they do. Uh, Hiram Kemp was half of it, and Neil Pollard, who preached together in Kentucky, were the other half. They both got about 20 minutes. One preached on the greatest command, and the second one preached on the one that is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And it was a great help to me as I was thinking about my lesson. So take advantage of it. We just want to help you, and we want to give you clear information on how it works. And you may have to see us to get some help on that, but we would uh, gladly let you use that uh, if, if you would like to. We've been talking about teaching today, and before we get into a deeper dive, if you have a bulletin in front of you, I didn't give you any outline, any blanks, but you see that it's entitled Tips from the Top Teacher. I gave Charles a hard time last week about trying to get a D word into his last point, and so I kind of did the same thing here. I had to go with Top Teacher instead of Master Teacher, but you understand here, we're going to continue our thoughts from this morning about digging a little deeper into what Jesus has to say about being a teacher, and not just what he has to say, but what he lived. Before we get there, though, in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse number 12, the Hebrew writer says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Verse 12, by this time you ought to be teachers. I'll readily admit, as I said this morning, that I realize we come from different backgrounds. We come from different skill levels. We even come from different comfort levels. That Some people say, well, I do better with younger kids. I do better with adults. I do better with a crowd or maybe with just a, a small number, kind of a one-on-one -on -one Bible study thing. But here's the challenge. And again, I, I don't not mean 
suggest that if you don't teach in our Bible school program, you're, you're a sinner and, and your soul is condemned. I think there is a challenge, though, that we all continue to mature to the point that we can be teachers. And I would suggest that we should, as mature Christians, be teaching in some capacity. That does not mean you've got to stand in the pulpit. That doesn't mean you've got to teach the kindergarten class uh, one quarter a year. But it does mean that you should be able to teach. Think about our men who are leaders, our elders and our deacons. That the discussion around the ideas that them and their qualifications is that they are knowledgeable enough, learned enough to be able to teach. It doesn't mean that they're the greatest, uh, the best, they've got the best illustrations, they're the funniest, the best way of teaching, but they're able to convey the message of God, the word of God, the gospel. So the encouragement here is you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again. That's what we're striving to avoid. That we stay in such a place that we are like babes or babies. And, you know, the illustration, I meant to find a picture, and I, I forgot, but of an adult sucking on a bottle. You know, we use that, and it seems silly to us. It's kind of facetious, but that is what happens to many Christians. They say, well, you know, there's enough Bible teachers. They don't need me. I don't have to. But Paul, or the excuse me, is saying, be careful don't teach or you're not willing to teach or able to teach you will regress or you will certainly stay in this infant kind of stage so as we think about our lives and our opportunities to teach both in a bible class both in a personal setting personal evangelism type of setting what more can we learn from the master teacher as we've already begun to talk about this morning we said this morning, and this, I didn't, this is not, of course, in your outline, the, the blanks, and so I meant to take that underline out there. But we said that Jesus was the master teacher because of his application of the Scripture. And then we also said that it was because he taught God's Word with a variety of approaches. I hope that you have a Bible handy because I think one thing that can help us in this Sunday afternoon session sometimes is to just open the Bible and go through some of these might help keep us awake a little bit too, but also to stay with the lesson and to kind of work through some study. I know some places that will have worship and then Bible class or Bible class and then worship and then a short break and then they'll have some questions from the morning sermon. That's how they'll make their Sunday last, kind of how we've gone to lunch and then service. And I kind of like that idea of at times we can dig a little deeper into what we've already discussed. Now, let me also say here, I was already approached this morning by somebody, or yesterday, by somebody I won't name, but who's sitting somewhere up here close by me, about when we were going to get to the intertestamental period. That's coming too, uh, and that is because next Sunday afternoon, we will have singing, right, fifth Sunday. The next Sunday afternoon will be our vacation Bible school, so I hated to get into that and then say, well, let's come back a month later and talk about it. So we will get to the intertestamental period in some of these afternoon sessions as well. But let's talk about Jesus, the master teacher. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, first of all. When we talk about the approach and the variety of approaches that he used, Luke chapter 4, I don't know if I said that correctly. I apologize if I messed the book up. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 27. Jesus often used discourse or lectures. That is what is Wednesday night. That is somewhat what the sermon is. It's a discourse or someone standing up and preaching. That is a way that we can teach. We see there in Luke chapter 4 that he was in the synagogue and he opens the Isaiah scroll, right, in verse number 17, and he begins to lecture. He begins to speak. 
kind of as we think about our sermons are today. And so sometimes Jesus would just stand before people and sort of deliver uh, this message, if you will, or tell these things. We don't have those in a long way sometimes. This reference in Luke chapter 4, you don't see a whole lot of words in red there. It may be a little shorter, but he is giving a bit of a lecture. Look in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. Mark 10, 6 through 9. This is Mark's account of what we made mention of this morning from Matthew 19 about Jesus' question, excuse me, the question to Jesus about marriage and divorce. When they ask him about marriage, what does he say? Well, he begins to lecture, if you will. He begins to get a bit of discourse. So that's why this can be helpful. Uh, some people learn better this way by, by just listening. We've used the Kyle Butt videos because sometimes some people do better, you know, watching. We all have different styles of learning. And so Jesus is going to use different approaches. And one of those is discourse or lecture. Number two, he sometimes used questions. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse number 22. Do you remember here that in this section, this is where the sons of Zebedee come to Jesus with their mother. Right, And she's got a question, and maybe really it's their question, but she has a question about them sitting on his right hand and the other on his left. And what does Jesus do? He does that age-old parent thing that our kids hate so much. He asks a question back to them. You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said, we are able. And he goes on to tell them, oh, you will. You will have to do some of these same things. You will have to, to suffer in the same way. But he begins by asking a question. While you're there, look at Matthew 21, beginning in verse 23. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 23. One of those occasions in which verse 23 says in the New King James, they come to confront him. They come to ask him a question. And what's their question? To sum it up, their question is, where's your authority? Where's your authority? You know, we talk about our, our good brother Keith and, and his work with the TBI and stuff, and he, he's got a badge. He's got something. He walks up. If he's going to ask you a question about his business, about business with the TBI, he's going to probably flash you his badge so that you know by what authority he's doing these things. They come to him. They want to say, who do you think you are, Jesus, asking us these questions? Where's your authority? But what does he say in verse 25? Well, the baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? He puts them on the horns, horns of the dilemma because if they answer one way or the other, they're going to be in trouble, either in trouble with the people. And notice in verses 25 and 26, they reason, and we are privy to that reasoning within their heads by inspiration of the Holy Spirit here and by Matthew. We know what they say. Well, if they say this, we'll be in trouble. If they say that, we'll be in trouble. So he puts them in a problem by asking them one of those questions that he knows will catch them. Look as well in verse number 31. Matthew 21, verse 31. He tells the parable of the two sons. We'll get to parables in a minute. But what comes as a part of that parable? He says to them in verse 31, Which of the two sons did the will of his father? Sometimes as parents, we enjoy asking that question that kind of, you know, makes somebody answer in a difficult way. Because we know that they've got to be honest with themselves. He said that he, they're going to know the answer, and they're going to kind of hang themselves again on the horns of either side of this dilemma. When he says, you tell me, 
Let me ask you a question and let's see what you have to say about that. How effective that was when they had to answer on their own. I know you ladies had your ladies class back a quarter or so ago, but in here we had been studying the parables and we noticed how many times it was effective. I can imagine as a human, it'd be so hard. Jesus was sinless. We said that this morning. It'd be so hard knowing you've got the answer to just give it and let it lie, right? Just say, why don't you tell me, smarty britches? Just you give me the answer and let them have to answer, right? That, that is so effective. And I would not suggest that we kind of try to get someone in that way or get at them, but sometimes it's really effective when you make them think and you ask them that tough question. Number three, he used illustrations. We won't look at all of these in great detail, but I can invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Let me give you a couple of others while you're turning there. What about birds? Matthew chapter 6, he talked about birds with a question and an illustration. The illustration is about the birds. Birds are taken care of. Why do you worry? And then he asked the question, how much more valuable are you? And they're left, you know, they're left thinking again, well, I know how much value I am. I know I'm more valuable than the birds. Well, then you have the answer to the question. Quit worrying. So he uses birds. He also, in Matthew, uses the vineyard, right? Even a bit of a business illustration at times about the wicked husbandman who the, killed the owner's son. And he talks a little bit about business. He talks a little bit about vineyards. He talks a little bit about him there. But in Luke 15, he uses two powerful ones. First of all, he talks about sheep. Now, we've talked about this before. That's not quite as powerful to me and you, right? I've never owned a sheep. Uh, I, I may have owned an animal or two, but never a sheep. So that's not as powerful. But what do we understand from Luke 15? Again, value. Value. If you've got 100 sheep and you lose one, we understand the rejoicing that is going on in heaven when one sinner repents in terms of his ways. But what's the more powerful one in Luke chapter 15? Well, it begins in verse number 11 and goes through about verse 32. He uses the illustration of a family. I don't have to go around this room and ask you to tell me or to give me your examples, but I know they exist. I know about some of them personally, and we share sometimes in these struggles about family and what it means when a family member leaves and what it means when a family member returns, what it means when a father welcomes in that family member as they come home again. What a, what a more beautiful picture. Is there a more beautiful picture than the family when Jesus uses it here with the prodigal son? So I think that may be why the one is, is so well known. It, it, the sheep and, and the parable of the lost coin, those are good, they're important, but it hits home when we think about our children, when we think about those who are unfaithful returning again. Think about this morning as we had an example right here on this front pew of people who maybe didn't feel like they were that far away because they were here, but they realized maybe something was amiss and as family welcomes them in, that's the kind of illustration sometimes that helps people see. I know we had a couple of visitors. I know we had a few visitors. I sometimes put myself or try to put myself in their shoes when they witness what they witnessed this morning if they were here. They may not be sure what's going on. They may not quite understand because they're not a part of the family here. But I have to think it's pretty powerful when you see an illustration of family and family turning to each other and turning towards one another. And Jesus knew that when he used those. We obviously cannot spend too much time on this because of the length but parables. Jesus spoke in parables. Matthew chapter 13 is filled with parables. The parable of the soils, the parables about the kingdom of heaven, the pearl of great price, all of those that teach us something. Question, 
When you teach someone, what could you use as a different approach? Maybe it's a family member who needs to study the gospel, obey the gospel. Maybe it's just someone that you're trying to reach. Maybe it's a young person. Uh, we've kind of laughed this year about uh, the Old Testament studies and pulling out the flannel graphs and all that. But what's that? It's just taking a different approach. You're used to be standing up there and lecturing for a while. But why don't we try something different to maybe make things uh, a little more vivid for us or help us remember? Jesus used different approaches. If we're going to be good teachers, we should too. We should as well. This morning we talked about his affection for people. We mentioned Brian's lesson last week in that phrase about caring and knowing and knowing and caring and all that. Jesus showed his affection for people and we said that he was approachable, right? We mentioned that he was approachable by all, all kinds of people. Notice in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 37, Mark 12 and verse 37, that it says the common people, the common people heard him gladly. It's amazing to me that the Jews were always expecting this knight on a white horse, right? This leader that was going to come in and save them with military might. But yet we know that the common people heard him gladly. And he was approachable, though, to all different kinds. Let's think about a few of those very quickly. First of all, from John chapter 3, he taught a Jewish leader. Now that Jewish leader comes to him by what? By night, right? Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. He comes to him by night because he's afraid, but Jesus is not afraid. He's approachable in broad daylight. He's also approachable by night. But he was certainly approachable to even those who were Jewish leaders, even if they tried to hide it. Number two, he was approachable by a tax collector. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. We have there the story of Zacchaeus. We mentioned this morning about the struggle of teaching our young people sometimes, teaching them the full picture. We sing stories or we sing songs about Zacchaeus, but they're not going to grasp what a big deal it was that here's a tax collector coming to Jesus and what a big deal that would have been to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who would look down their nose and say, how dare he talk to that tax collector? What about John chapter 4? He talks to Samaritans. In particular, in John chapter 4, he talks to a Samaritan woman. You know what we joke about sometimes in this country, about not being seen talking to certain groups of people. Uh, maybe, you know, people from certain parts or different things uh, of the world or parts of the country. Tom, you know I'm not from here, but I always tell people that I love to listen to y'all talk about people from Saudi not talking to people from Daisy or vice versa, you know, or joke, making jokes about that. We kind of laugh about that sometimes. Maybe Alabama fans don't talk to Tennessee fans or whatever. Little things like that that kind of are funny to us. You've heard me say it, and preachers preach it, but it is much, much worse than being funny when it came to the Jews and the Samaritans. It was downright ugly sometimes. And so for Jesus to be approached by a Samaritan, and not just that, but what? A Samaritan woman? It's a big deal. But he was approachable. She might have been a little nervous. Nicodemus was a little nervous. We said this morning, rich, poor, despite the audience, it didn't matter. He was approachable. In connection with that, men and women. Look at Luke chapter 8. Look Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Luke 8, 1 through 3. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and 
infirmities. We made mention this morning of Mary Magdalene being thankful to Jesus of whom he had healed of these seven demons. And then he goes on in verse number three to list women. We talked about Luke a few years ago when it came to the Bible Bowl and Lads to Leaders. But Luke is a great book and a great uh, gospel account to remind us of the value that Jesus placed on women. I know that we know the history of the world and, and the oppression of women for a long time in many different ways, including in our country for many years, maybe up to the, the right to vote and that, that kind of thing. But Jesus showed value in women. And notice at the end of verse 3, it says, They provided for him from their substance, from their possessions. They were involved. He didn't just say, well, let's bring all the men in and everybody else just stay to the back. He taught both men and women. He was approachable. And then we might say finally under this point, even entire families felt comfortable talking to him. If you're still in Luke 8, turn over to Luke 10. Luke 10 verses 38 through 42. Who do we meet there? Mary, Martha, and who are we going to meet? Their brother Lazarus. Entire families felt comfortable talking to him. He cared for them. He made them feel important. He would not put them down. As I think about us going out into the community and people that we come in contact with, we should be approachable by people. Some of you have given stories before about the places that you work. Are you available and approachable by people? I think I know Heath has, has mentioned stories. I know Gabe and, and others, many of you have, but have talked about maybe people from work who grab you at the most random, oddest moment and say, hey, would you pray for me? And you say, well, how do they even know that they would ask me to do that? Well, maybe it's your demeanor. Maybe it's the way that you, you carry yourself. Maybe it's the things that you have done or said. Maybe they simply seen you bow your head in prayer before you eat your lunch. I don't know. But when we are approachable, we never know when that door might be open. And look, I know that the world today and the business environment, it's a lot different than it used to be. You know, sometimes we have to be careful about those things. Uh, the kids at camp, we had a Q&A on Friday afternoon with the preachers, and the, the idea came up about transgender people and, and pronouns and those kinds of things and, and how we should handle those kinds of situations, and it's tough. It's really tough because we need a job. We don't want to, to get fired or sued, but we also want to follow along with the Word of God. Same thing is true not just in those kinds of human sexuality ways today, but even with you know, business and talking about religious things. But Jesus was approachable by all of these people, and we should strive to be as well. We also said he was adaptable this morning. Let's talk about that in a little more detail. He was adaptable. He taught both individuals and crowds. We've already mentioned John chapter 3 being the individual with Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, I want the one-on-one -on -one time. I want the private uh, interview. I don't want to be seen by everyone. So Jesus says, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the new birth. You must be born again. But then we also know from Mark chapter 2, in Mark chapter 2, there's one of those statements when I talk about the paparazzi, when I talk about the crowd, it's Mark chapter 2 and verse 2. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. Do you remember Mark 2 is the story of the, the people letting the men down through the roof? It was always my favorite growing up. I don't know why, but it was one that I enjoyed studying and hearing about. But that occasion is necessary because there, there's no more room. 
Did Jesus say, well, sorry, we got to cut it off. That's the end of the line. Send those other people away. We're not teaching anymore. Only the people in the house. He didn't stop the crowd, but there was no room to receive them. In fact, Luke chapter 12 and verse number 1 even uses the word trample. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 1, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. You know, we joke in our house about wanting our private time, you know, wanting to be alone for a few minutes and having just three or four kids who are always needing you. Innumerable people trampling one another. I can't imagine that kind of pressure and what it would take to try to teach that, but he was adaptable. He taught them all. He never said, well, that's enough. Sorry, cut the line off here. The rest of you are simply out of luck. If it was Nicodemus or if it was an innumerable number, he was willing to teach we should strive to do that. Again, I know for some of you, the idea of standing in front of a crowd of 20, much less a crowd of 60 or of an innumerable force, you know, scares you more than you can even imagine. But we need to do our best to teach in these different ways. Not only did he teach these different people, but he taught as well in different locations, right? In the synagogue, in the temple. I challenge you as I challenge you this morning. Please, please, please teach in our Bible school program. It may take you a few steps. It may take you learning from someone and then growing into trying it on your own, but it will be valuable to you. I was talking with Rick Owens last week. They had visited camp. We were talking about the Chattanooga School of Preaching uh, at Greens Lake Road there, and he was talking about maybe me coming again and teaching. And he asked me what I had taught before, you know, because sometimes the teachers will get three or four different things they've taught before, and then they'll take a break of a year or two, then they'll teach it again. And, and I like that idea because I've already prepared. But the two times that I've taught for, so far, I have learned so much trying to do my best to dig in and be able to teach. I taught the prison epistles and I taught Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And it helped me so much to think about that. The lesson on Judges that we had a few weeks ago on Sunday morning about the Judges, I mean, you know, there it is. It's at the tip of my tongue, right at my fingertips because I put the time in before to teach it once before. You will be blessed if you will learn to teach in this kind of setting and it will be helpful to you and it'll be a blessing to these young people. It'll be a blessing to all these folks as you get involved in our program. He taught in the synagogue. He taught in the temple. But where else did he teach? Well, the greatest sermon ever told by some people, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is on the side of a mountain, right? Uncomfortable. The, ask these kids who went to camp and any of them who've been to camp this summer, it's hot, it's miserable. I can't imagine sitting on a mountainside and listening, listening for too long to someone, anyone, out in the heat, out in the sun, sitting on rocks in the grass. He taught on a mountainside. In Luke chapter 5, he teaches from a boat. He's on the boat, the crowd may be on the shore or uh, you know, around, but he's on a boat. He basically says, hey, let me borrow your boat and I'll teach from there. It does not matter. He was adaptable. House to house, heart to heart, uh, evangelism school, the program that they'll go through with congregations and the Back to the Bible series that we've talked about before, they're big about the kitchen table, the dining room table. I think that's a great thing. If you want to study the Bible with someone, Sit around the table and study together. But you know, that library table in there is pretty good as well. Sitting in a pew is fine as well. Maybe after services or something. Sitting together at the park. Whatever might work. Be adaptable and try to realize that there may be a different setting. I can stand up here in this pulpit and speak all day long. 
But some people are only going to get it. It's going to make more sense to them if they sit down with you across the table and it really hits home. So I challenge you to think about teaching in different locations. And then finally here, he taught friends and enemies. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, when we think about Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, we may mention this just a moment ago. Whose house is he in? Mary and Martha. That's as friendly that's as friendly of a confine as you can get right there. He's sitting with friends. And what's he doing? He's going to teach him. He's going to talk. He's going to take this moment to, to get to Martha. And we see that Mary is listening at his feet in verse 39. He's with friends. It's easy. But turn over to Luke chapter 14 and verse, verse number 1. And it says, It happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely we're not in friendly confines anymore this isn't home turf he's in the middle of enemy territory it don't matter it don't matter if it's in his house with his friends or if he's in enemy territory it doesn't matter the crowd it doesn't matter the people as we said this morning he is going to speak the truth he was adaptable maybe he needed to come down a little harder in some situations Maybe he needed to use a softer word in certain situations. He was going to preach the truth, but he was adaptable, adaptable to whatever situation he was in. So the question to finish up this day and this afternoon is, what can you do to be a better teacher? If you still have your notes out, I want to give you one more thing here. It's, it's, they all start with the letter C, uh, and it's real easy. Here it is in short, to be a teacher. Number one, communicate. A teacher communicates God's will. Communicate. Number two, connect. Jesus communicated God's will, but as we've already said, he connected with people. But number three, with the purpose of converting. What can you do to be a better teacher? Maybe it involves a Bible school program here. Maybe it involves vacation Bible school, but maybe it just involves your own personal life. Communicate God's truth, connect with people, and try to convert. That's the purpose. It may be to study more at one time in particular, but it also may be to convert those who are lost. As we think about this lesson and the conclusion of it here, we extend heaven's invitation. It's kind of like we did this morning. Maybe part of the problem is you recognize your life is not what it should be. The first point this morning was that Jesus gave attention to his own life. Not that we are perfect, but that we're going to do our best to try to teach others and make sure that we've got the beam and the speck out of our own eye. Not that we're perfect, but that we can do our best to teach living our lives in an appropriate way, an acceptable way as well. If you're here and you've never obeyed the gospel so that you can teach that, we encourage you to be gospel obedient, even this day, even this very hour. If you're here, but you have done that, but you've wandered away, and maybe the first step you realize is to teach, is you know what I can't worry about? I can't worry about curriculum. I can't worry about booklets. I can't worry about where. I can't worry about the crowd got to worry about myself. That's okay too. We're thankful for an opportunity to make our lives right by coming back to him, repenting of any sin, confessing it in a way that he is faithful and just to forgive so that we can walk in the light. And I would suggest in connection with our study today, we can begin teaching. But we've got to be right with God and we want to make sure that we do all we can to be right with him so that we're able to teach others just as Jesus did. If you need to make a change, would you consider doing so as we stand together and as we